0: That's wonderful! Wow, what great songs this morning! And uh, boy, I just love to hear you sing. And uh, I know I can't hear every voice because uh, some of you are too far away. But I just like to look around and I see people singing. And uh, I think uh, I think how God must uh, enjoy hearing His children sing. Uh, I know when when uh, our kids were little, and I'd hear them out in the yard. We'd hear them. They'd just be singing and singing, and I'm just enjoying hearing them sing. And I think how that when God hears his children singing glory and honor and praise to him and singing about the cross and singing about the blood, and uh, it just must must rejoice his heart. And so uh, I thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, Tracy, for the good, good selection of songs. Yeah, Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, <clears throat> I want to, uh, I want us to look again in the Gospel of Luke this morning, and uh, let me get, um, I mean Mark. <laughs> I've been preaching through Mark. I am going to read some out of Luke before I read out of Mark, however. In fact, I'm going to read out of, uh, so you can get this on the screen, Luke chapter uh, 4, verses 16 through 18. Uh, Actually, it's more than that, but we'll start with that. (coughs) Let me tell you, Jesus... You know, when he was born, he was born where? Bethlehem. I know this is not Christmas, but everybody knows that. Okay. He was born in Bethlehem. And uh, then when he was just very, very young, maybe just even a few days old, certainly a few weeks or months old, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus fled to Egypt because of the uh, they had gotten word, they had been warned by an angel that King Herod was going to be trying to kill Jesus as a baby and of course he did slaughter the other babies that were in Bethlehem but Joseph and Mary fled and they went to Egypt and they lived there for uh, we're not sure exactly how long maybe a couple of years and and then after Herod died they were going to come back to Bethlehem but then they heard that Herod's son had become the tetrarch or the leader of that area so they moved up to Galilee now Galilee uh, is uh kind of like the hill country of of Israel it's kind of like the the outback it's kind of like uh Tennessee <laughs> it's uh, uh or maybe east tennessee up in the mountains and and uh so they became hillbillies I guess is what I'm trying to say. They moved up uh, to uh, to an area, and they moved to a town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was a, a a town that was famous for nothing. In fact, uh, there was kind of a saying: "Can any good thing come out of Nazareth?" And it's just interesting that that's where they chose to move to. And maybe it was to remain anonymous and to kind of hide. And, and as they moved to Nazareth, for the next uh, 28 years, Jesus lived in this uh, little backwoods, uh, obscure town. The population, from what I've read, was probably around 600 people at the most maybe less than that, so uh, uh, a really country town, and Joseph was a carpenter, uh, and maybe even a a stonemason, and that he worked in trying to help build houses, and also mend broken things, and no doubt must have helped build plows, and other farming tools because it was a farming community. And then Jesus followed in his footsteps. Jesus was a, uh, he also was a carpenter. He learned from Joseph the skill, the trade of carpentry. And so for 20, 28 years, Jesus lived in this obscure little village. And uh, he and his brothers and sisters, he had at least... He had four brothers that we know of for sure, James and Judas and, and Simon and uh, Joseph. And so those four brothers, all younger than him, and then he had at least two sisters. We don't know their names. He may have had more than two sisters. It just says his sisters, so we know there had to be at least two. So, so he is the oldest son in a family of at least seven children and uh they're growing up in this little obscure village called nazareth everybody in town must have known him everybody there must have uh must have known the whole family you know how it is in a little country village everybody knows everybody and so jesus grew up there in that little village <coughs> playing with the other kids Uh, learning at the local synagogue. They did have a synagogue at Nazareth and uh, uh, helping out, helping his father and helping take care of his younger brothers and sisters. So it's not too surprising that after Jesus became, after he was 30 years old and he went down down to the Jordan River, he was baptized by John the Baptist and then he... (coughs) driven out into the wilderness, and there he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, tested by uh, Satan, and uh, and then he comes back from that time, and he begins his ministry, and I don't know how long exactly. He's been gone from Nazareth, but one of the first places that he goes is back to his hometown, and uh we read about that in Luke chapter 4 and it's kind of lengthy but i think you'll enjoy hearing this so jesus came to nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was this let's know that this was not a surprise for them to see him at the synagogue because he went every sabbath day to the synagogue so He shows up. He's been gone for a while, maybe a few months, and uh, he's uh, been baptized. He's been out in the wilderness, and then he comes back to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he turned to the place where it is written. And so now he's reading this. This is what was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind." and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What a great verse. And he just stands, he's standing there in front of all these people, and he reads this verse, which they were all familiar with. This was as familiar to them as John 3, 16 is to us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to do these things, to bring healing and recover of sight to the blind, set the captives free. And then verse 19, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is the, the year that God says this is fulfilled. And then verse 20. And then he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. And this was by the way in those days whenever you read. You read standing up and then you sat down to teach. And he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, he said, what I've just read to you, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Today, you're seeing the fulfillment of that scripture, and in verse twenty-two, so all bore witness to him, and they marvelled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But they said, "Isn't this Joseph's son?" And he said to them, "You will surely say." This proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do now here in our country. By the way, when Jesus, he didn't go directly back to his hometown. He went to Capernaum, which is about 28 miles northeast of Nazareth, right up on the top of the the Sea of Galilee, and he had ministered there and he had performed some miracles there he had done some healings there which we'd read we'd read about earlier and he said uh they they said you you'll you'll say to me Jesus said heal your physician heal yourself which was kind of a, a phrase a popular phrase back in that time which meant uh, let's see you do what you claim you can do and said uh we want to see what you do here, what we hear that you've done in Capernaum. And then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. He said, uh, This also was a popular saying that day that, that no prophet will be accepted in his hometown. But I tell you, truly, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up in three years and six months. There was no rain. There was a great famine throughout the land. There were many widows there, but none of them was Elijah sent to except to Zarephath in the region of Zidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, this is a Gentile woman. This is a woman outside of Israel. So he said, I'm telling you that in Elijah's day, he was a prophet and the people in Israel wouldn't accept him. But he goes to a widow who lives in another part of the country, in Zarephath. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. He said when, when Elisha the prophet, nobody would, in Israel would listen to him. But he, this foreigner hears him. They understood what he was saying. He was saying, look, you people have closed your heart and your ears to me. And what I did in Capernaum, I would be glad to do here, but you're not welcoming me here. And, and then to make that clear, the next verse says, so all of those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath. not that amazing? Here's Jesus who has just read. and they've known him all his life practically, and, and he reads to them, and, they, and they've heard about what he's doing, has done in Capernaum, and, and his claims to be the Messiah. And he comes to his hometown, and he says, I, I've come to tell you who I am. And they were filled with Wrath. And listen to the next verse. And they rose up and threw him out of the city. And then they dragged him to the brow of a hill on which the city was built. And they were going to throw him down over the cliff. Can you imagine that? Doing that to anybody, but especially a hometown boy that they've known for years And just because he basically is saying to them, I am the Messiah, I am the anointed one, I am the one that God has promised all these years, and now I've come. And today, in your hearing, you are seeing the fulfillment of what God has promised. And they said, we're going to kill you. And they take him out to throw him And then passing through them in the midst of them, he went his way. That is, he was able to make his way through them and they weren't able to kill him. Now, he was gone from Nazareth for a little while and he did all the things we've read about in the first five chapters of Mark. And then in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, he comes back to Nazareth. Then he went out from there, that is, from the place where we had just read about last week. He went out from there, and he came back to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him, now this has been several weeks since he was there before. They've had time to cool down just a little bit. And those who heard him (coughs) were astonished. And they said, where did did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him? And that he that such mighty works are performed by his hands. So it's kind of hard to deny. They, They hear what he's done, and like Nicodemus, who said to him, We know that you must be from God in order to do the things you've done. And they said, We can't deny that. Said, said, We know that he's done these amazing things. Are they tricks? I mean, he's given sight to the blind. Raised a dead girl. My goodness. Who is this guy? We thought we knew him. And said, isn't this the carpenter? The son of Mary? And the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. This Greek word for offended here is the word scandalon, scandal. They were scandalized by Jesus. But Jesus said to them again, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he He did lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. But the, the work that he really wanted to do in his hometown could not be done, not because he didn't have the power to do it, but the next verse explains he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Do you know there are only two times in the New Testament that Jesus ever marveled? <laughs> Can you imagine the Son of God anything causing him to marvel? There was one time over in uh, 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 Luke chapter four when a centurion came to to Jesus I oh, know Luke chapter seven Luke chapter seven verse nine says this centurion had come to Jesus, and the Centurion was not even, he wasn't Jewish. he didn't know the scriptures, he didn't know the Old Testament. And, and this guy came and said, my servant is sick at home. He's about to die. And Jesus said, well, I'll come and heal him. And the man said, oh, you, you don't have to come. He said, just say the word. You just say it and he'll get well. You don't have to come to my house. He said, in fact, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my home. But he said, I, I'm a man of authority. I have soldiers under me, and I say to one, you go, and he goes. I say, come, he comes. So he said, all you have to do, you just speak the word. Wow. And Jesus, when he heard these things, Jesus marveled. He marveled at this man. He turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, I have not found this kind of faith, not even in Israel. Jesus marveled that a centurion had that kind of faith. And then in this passage, Jesus marveled that the people that knew him the best didn't have any faith. And I wondered as I read that this week, you know, I would like for Jesus to marvel at us, but I don't want him to marvel because... We ought to have faith, and we don't. I want him to marvel that a, a bunch of folks there in Glen Heights believe me. They take me at my word. They, they rely on me. They actually read my word, and they say, yes, I believe it. They don't doubt it. They don't say, "Well, well, how do I know this for sure? That's what they were saying there in Nazareth. Uh, who are you? How how'd you where'd you get this wisdom? How, how is it you're doing these amazing things? We know who you are. You're a hometown boy. You're you're Jesus. We know you. And the truth is, they really didn't know him. Why did they not believe him? And here's here's what I've thought this week is because of familiarity that they didn't believe him. They thought, we see him every day. How can you make such claims as this? And I thought, how do I I apply that in my own life? And I want to tell you something. Familiarity Crushes confident affection and love if we're not careful. But even in a home, even in a marriage, you know, couples get married and they're just so goo goo eyed at one another, and they just are so crazy about one another, and they're just oh, you. So, and 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 I I like that. Boy, I love doing weddings. I'll be doing two or three weddings here in the next few months and. And, and I love to see those couples just kind of look at one another. I try to make them listen to what I'm saying, but a lot of times they're not listening to me because they're just, all oh, they're thinking she's so pretty. I love her so much. And Oh, he's so, and, and I think that's good. I like that. What I don't like is two years later when they don't even notice each other. And when he tries to do something sweet or kind, and it's like, well, you ought to, you know, it's and the thank yous and the compliments and the and the sweetness and the and the things like that go away. And uh, familiarity, familiarity has a way of killing affection. And then with our children. We can just love them so much when they're little and we're playing with them and then as they get older and as they start dropping things and breaking stuff and and keeping us awake and and, 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 and everything. Just the familiarity, sometimes we forget what a treasure they are, how precious they are, how much we love them so much. And and we're not giving them the kind of affection. And then it goes the other way. Kids growing up in a home, uh, maybe as when they're little, I remember my brother and I, we thought our dad was perfect. We used to tell stories at school. They were lies, but, but we'd tell stories at school about how our dad defeated the whole German army <laughs> in World War II. We had this one story we told. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I lied like that back then, but but we had this story where we told how he was surrounded by a whole circle of German soldiers, and they were all going to shoot him, and he said, uh, ready, aim, and fire. And when he said fire, he jumped real high, and they all shot each other. And then he come back down and goes and gathers up all their guns and everything. I think we told us I think we might have even believed it. (laughs) And the kids at school would just be like, really? And I mean our dad was a hero. Oh man. He couldn't do anything wrong. Then I hit about age 13 or 14. And all of a sudden he went completely ignorant. <laughs> this man who knew everything now knew nothing. This man who could do everything right couldn't do anything right. And, and I lost, because of my familiarity, I lost that sense of reverence and awe and appreciation and respect for him. So that can happen in all of our relationships. As a matter of fact, when couples come to me for marriage counseling, generally they have forgotten the very things that caused them to love each other when they first got married. And a lot of times I'll ask them to make a list of the things you appreciate and love about the other person. Write down their good qualities. And they say, well, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about what a jerk he is, you know. We're here to, I'm here to talk about how bad she is. And I said, well, we'll get to that maybe. But first of all, I want you to write down all the reasons you fell in love with him. A lot of times I have to help them. They can't even think of one. But I do help them. And sometimes, it's amazing, sometimes after they've written a few of those down, they're looking over at one another like, I'd forgot about that Oh, oh I'd forgot about that and sometimes I'm finished counseling with them they'll hold hands and walk out and give each other a hug and say I'm sorry but it's that familiarity it's that daily routine it's that going through the motions and losing sight of the real that can rob us our affection and if that's true in our most human relationships how much more is it true in our spiritual understanding of who Jesus is let me tell you something a danger that we face that people in Indonesia and a lot of other places don't face people who have not heard about Jesus And they hear about him for the first time. It is amazing to see the response when they realize that God became flesh and lived here and loved me, loved me so much he died for me. And then he rose from the dead and now he wants to be my Savior. I have a video, uh, maybe I can find it, and show it to you sometime, called Itiao, Itiao, which is a, a word in this language that means it's good, it's good. And it's about a group of people that this missionary went to and he told them the gospel, he shared it with them for weeks at a time and the day that they understood it, that they realized Jesus died for me and rose again. And the whole village converted to Jesus. It's a, it was <laughs> captured on video. And the people began to jump and shout. And they picked up the missionary, and they're carrying him around over their head, and they're saying, it's good, it's good. And it went on for. Hours. <laughs> and the missionary was saying what a these people who lived in darkness had seen a great light those who had lived in hopelessness and despair suddenly found the hope of Jesus and they're so thrilled but we don't behave like that Because of familiarity. We lose the wonder, the amazement, the marvel that God would come to us when we couldn't come to Him and that He would capture our heart and draw us to Himself and put faith in our heart so we could trust him and love him and know him and live with him forever and one of the prayers I pray so often is God help me not lose the wonder of it all I don't want to become familiar with Jesus these people in his hometown were so familiar with him they couldn't see that God was in front of them. The Messiah that they had longed for and hoped for, waited for, prayed for, was here. And they couldn't see him because of familiarity. I used to worry so much or be so concerned when our kids were growing up in a pastor's home. I said, I don't want them to get so used to holy things that they're meaningless. That can happen to us with Sunday school and church and regular routine stuff. The sons of Aaron, Hophni and Phineas, they grew up handling holy things every day of their life. And the Bible says that those holy things just became common them meant meaningless and they they suffered they died because of that I, I don't want us to become so familiar with Jesus that we can look at him and say uh, who is this man what, what does it mean to me what does he mean to me? They did not believe because he was not the Messiah they pictured. They they wanted signs and wonders but they didn't want him. They overlooked the clear evidence that was right there before them. They even said, well, he has such wisdom. He does such mighty powers. Who is this? And I'm just telling you, unbelief, unbelief eliminates our ability to receive God's great work in our life. It's all by faith, folks. Did you know everything is by faith? Belief, unbelief. Which group? Where do you fall? And for many of us, we'd be like the man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I I do believe, but there's a part of me that kind of holds back and says, oh, uh, really? And this man said, Lord, I believe. Help, help me to fully believe. And that's what I would say to us today. Let, let's... We've heard the stories of Jesus since we were in the cradle. Our little great-granddaughter, they were telling me that they're playing, they're already playing Christian stories and telling Christian stories and playing Christian songs and things like that, which is great. That's great. But there will never be a day of her life that she will remember hearing about Jesus The first time. Because she'll have hurt him all of her life. That's a good thing. I'm not I'm not against that. I'm just saying that that's true for most of us. And we need to recapture the marvel, the wonder, the amazement. When we need to in our hearts bow before him and say, Lord Jesus, you are marvelous. You are worthy of my worship, my life, my all. I, wherever you lead, that's where I'll go. I want to follow you. And if it's, and when when we say here that we're a family of Jesus followers, that's who we want to be. We want to say, wherever he leads, I'll go. If he says to, go to another country, I'll go. If he says to go to Maine and plant a church, I'll go. But if he says, love your wife like I love the church, I'll go, I'll do that. If he says, wives, respect and honor your husband and, and follow his leadership, I'll go. I'll do. If he says to the kids, kids, obey your parents and give honor to them. I'll do it. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you've spoken to my heart this week through this passage of Scripture. Lord, I know that I, I may handle the Bible as much or more than, than most people. And I know it would be easy for me to become familiar with it, to become familiar with the holy things. God, I pray that that will not happen. I want every day and every hour of the day to recapture my sense of amazement. And when I sing about amazing grace, I want it to be amazing. When I sing about the wonder of it all, I want it to be wonderful. And I pray that you will help us today. Lord Jesus, help us today. To see you as the fulfillment of all the promises and the hope of all the ages, and as our Redeemer, Savior, and Elder Brother, and I pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. Will you follow?